0: Welcome to the Internet History Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McCullough. Today we're going to continue our mini-theme of exploring MP3s on the web and on the Internet before Napster. Rob Lord was the founder of the Internet Underground Music Archive all the way back in 1993. This would become the first website devoted to the distribution of of music via mp3 downloads, and very much paved the way for a lot of what came later. Before almost anyone else, Rob had a vision that digital would be the future of music distribution, and he has pursued that vision throughout his entire career, which includes such music-related startups as N2K, Muse.net, and the Songbird Player. We've actually already mentioned Rob at length in the Justin Frankel episode, as Rob joined Justin to create Nullsoft and disseminate the Winamp player. But, well, it seems like somehow discussion of MP3s on this show has been cursed by a gypsy or someone, because, like the Justin Frankel episode, as well as the Karl Heinz Brandenburg episode, The audio on this episode is suboptimal, to say the least. It starts out great for the first half, but halfway through, Skype begins to act up to the point that we eventually abandon it at the end. My apologies for problems in the second half of this episode, but there's some great details here about doing business with the music industry, about Napster, and even with uh, a young Travis Kalanick. So please stick it through, and please enjoy this conversation with Robert Lord.
1: Rob Lord, thanks for coming on the Internet History Podcast.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, First question, sort of an offbeat one, but uh, are you a musician of any sort? Do you you play music yourself?
3: I um, have been known to play some songs on guitar to the kids in the bathtub mm-hmm. um and i also um have a, uh, a burgeoning dj uh side of me mm-hmm. i've so far um dj'd at the uh, ace hotel palm springs uh and at burning man uh which are pretty great first gigs if you ask me <laughs> yeah. so um I, <laughs> uh i so i'm not uh you know in a band per se or, or something like that but i certainly um have a good time both um uh, pl- playing, uh, you know, an instrument and, and DJ.
1: But you, uh, as a, as a kid, you were, um, a manager of what, what we would have called then a record store, right? Yeah, I was. What, what was the, what was the store?
3: It was called Tempo, Tempo Records. It was, uh, one of a small chain, uh, locally owned chain in Los Angeles. It was uh, the coolest record store in our, our master planned, uh, suburban neighborhood. And, if I ever went to uh, concerts anywhere around L.A. and people from uh, the the suburbs that I was from were there, they'd say, "Hey, look, it's the Tempo guy." <laughs> so I was sort of a local celebrity at the uh, <laughs> in the in the music world of uh, the Santa Clarita Valley.
1: Would you say you were uh, a bit of a music snob? Maybe
3: I was probably as bad as the the um, what is that high fidelity uh-huh, uh-huh. guy is. I I would say things like. Um, I guess I was down on they might be giants at one point. And I said something like, "Oh, they, they might, be, you know, they might be giants." Someone would buy it, right? They put it on the counter. I'd say, oh, they might be giants." Like they just invented sarcasm, uh, it was an <laughs> irony, or something like just invented irony. Can't kill them, can't listen to them, and like you know, beep, uh, <laughs> <laughs> process the purchase. So yeah, I was I was an obnoxious uh, record store, uh, CD store sales clerk.
1: So in the in the early '90s, I guess um, you're um, matriculating at, at at UC Santa Cruz, and are, is it computer science that you're studying, or information science, or what, what are you studying?
3: Yeah, it was called uh, at UC Santa Cruz. It's called computer and information science (CIS).
1: And there, you studied under uh, David Huffman, who um, listeners to the show will, will remember from the Karl Heinz Brandenburg episode. Um, the man behind the, the Huffman encoding algorithm, which is a key component of, of MP3 technology, right?
3: Yeah, no, I was really fortunate. Uh, the school was great. The computer science program at UC Santa Cruz was fantastic. i uh, had a number of, uh, of luminary figures, and uh, each student was assigned a mentor, and I was incredibly fortunate uh, to be you know, mentored um, by, by David Huffman
1: is that uh is he maybe responsible for for showing you that you could you know marry an interest in in technology with with an interest in music
3: uh it's certainly it certainly propelled me along the way uh i had an interest i was in computer science you know uh going back to my first uh ibm pc uh that my dad brought home to do you know work at home um on and I've been doing some hacking and bulletin board you know, bbsing and things like that uh, before school, but certainly um, uh, minimum redundancy encoding, Huffman coding, um, psychoacoustic audio uh, encoding, uh, a lot of that I owe to the, being really inspired uh, by the UCSC program and particularly Huffman.
1: So tell me the story about when you first try to try to get music onto the internet. Um, you you have a friend who has a band, right? Go go ahead and and, and tell the story. Yeah.
3: yeah, a classmate of mine who um, uh, really should be, I guess, if we're talking about humor, he should be on the line here too. Um, but uh, uh, I'll try to speak for for us both. Um, yeah, a friend of mine had a band called the Ugly Mugs, this sort of Santa Cruz. Uh, band that was not unlike Sir sort of Primus or you know Primus and uh, um, servants you know, was the inspiration um, it's a loud obnoxious um, bass heavy rock band um, and um uh there was some interest in putting that online um I mean I, I think even early on I had this whole notion of of um, disintermediation of of how can we short circuit the uh the, the music industry at my record store uh, back that we were just talking about in, in the San Clarita Valley. Uh, we had a small import section, which was very unusual for, uh, you know, even as a Los Angeles suburb, um, you know, being, being so close to a major city, it was still unusual to have the kinds of um, access to the kinds of music that our record store had. There was certainly nothing like our store uh, within an hour's drive of where we were. <clears throat> um, so uh, when I saw... That um, there was source code for the um, uh, audio uh, for psychoacoustic audio compression using this this MPEG source code, Um, I got I got pretty excited um, and wanted some music to try it on, and um, some of that was uh, my buddy, uh, another CIS student at Santa Cruz, and someone who had lived in Santa Cruz Valley um, as well, Um, and uh, so we we encoded his band's music.
1: And when we say that you want to put it on the internet, we're not talking about the web because this is what nineteen ninety two or ninety three.
3: Yeah, about about ninety three. Yeah, it started on an FTP site. Uh, there was um, maybe some people out there remember something called Sunsite. Some Sun Microsystems offered uh, to universities um, some space, and um, so we put it on there first. And then, just as I was probably just the first version of of Netscape was available. Um, on on Max, that we realized we needed to um, build a web page uh, for it as well. So very early in the web's uh, evolution uh, was what we we started putting it uh, as a web, making it available as a web. In fact, the web was just an interface, right, to the FTP site for a long time. You'd throw up an HTML page, but all the links would be FTP colon slash slash. Uh,
1: actually, we're getting getting a little ahead of ourselves. The uh... okay. So, so first of all, so you put the ugly mugs music um, onto the net, maybe into uh, use groups or on, on FTP. Um, and mm-hmm. and a- another thing that we should point out is that that this is you're encoding it into MP2 because this is also before MP3 comes out, right?
3: Well, actually, the, uh, more or less true. The um, MP3 algorithm already existed, mm-hmm. but it was it's basically too complex to decode in real time on your state of the art five thousand dollar. Um, IBM PC, what is it, you know, uh, 66, <laughs> whatever it was, uh, the state of the, the art uh, Pentium, I guess it was Pentium 60 or something maybe, um, was just barely able to um, decode sort of MP2s. It was really, this. I don't know, sorry to get ahead, but it was really Justin Frankel who makes um, MP3 decoding in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, on state-of-the-art PCs possible. And that's a big part of, frankly, Winamp's success was um, being able to optimize for uh, existing users' hardware.
1: So when you you start putting the uh, the ugly mugs up, and then it, it, do other people see it and say, hey, I, I want to do that for my band as well, or do you seek out other bands?
3: We actually really sought it out. We thought this would be... Um, uh, we were excited about the potential of internet distribution to disintermediate, um, you know, the, the traditional value chain. Um, this is a very Santa Cruz thing. You know, Santa Cruz um, um, is a very progressively, po- politically progressive um, school, and um, you know, we really believed in the sort of internet's uh, the the promise of the internet to, to democratize all sorts of things, including media. Uh, believed in that really strongly. Uh, and so we saw it as both a fun project um, in that we really enjoy music, but as a sort of significant, uh, as a meaningful experiment in um, you know, the future of the internet, uh, the future of the web, to do distribution in this way. I'm sorry, I may not be answering your question. Your question was...
1: Well, actually, you're, you're leading me into my next question, actually. So right. um, when when you, you sought out you you you're seeking yeah. out bands because you 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 see you have this vision that that this maybe is yeah. the way that music distribution will happen in the future, and so yes. um, that's when you found the Internet Music Archive. and And did you did you actively yeah. seek out people to 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 work on this with you? Ah.
3: Yes, we did. We, it was actually very. It's actually really fun to think back on this now. First of all, we made a flyer <laughs> and we posted it up on campus, and we posted it at you know the two or three of the local uh, music. Uh, play uh, sort of music venues uh, in Santa Cruz which is a small town but there's three or four places that make sense there um, and we posted to some of the Usenet news groups I, I forget which ones right now but um, uh, to the, but they're all you know the music dot music uh, ones and um, point to the, the FTP site and, and the website and uh, ask people essentially to mail us yeah the, their cassette tapes um, and their their CDs uh, and that we're going to offer a service to um, post otherwise you know unheard uh, music um on the internet for for download
1: and is the vision that it's just promotional or are you already thinking about well, maybe we can maybe the business here is is to become the new distribution channel to 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 essentially be selling uh, music downloads
3: you know we we um I don't think. I hadn't thought that far along. I don't know if uh, my partner in this, Jeff Patterson, um, uh, thought uh, that far ahead either. I think what we really thought was that um, there are obviously much deeper pockets and, and uh, more organized interests uh, in this space, that what we're doing is an experiment, and um of doing internet distribution and that any distribution getting it from, from the, the artist, the producer, the creator, um, to an audience through the internet is, uh, such is, is itself uh, like a tremendous step, um, uh, and proves, improves out. And the, the, the actual sort of um, multi-step value chain that has an e-commerce component and things like that will come in due time. Um, so I don't think we were thinking of it in terms of um, even the marketing aspect of it, but just sort of the experimental notion of of what it of what it means. I mean, who's on, who's the music coming from, and who is it going to go to? Uh, was still just big question marks out there that there would be any sort of value to extract from doing so. Was you know even beyond the scope of that first question of who would be even doing this. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Well, and you mentioned that that again. Th- this is such early days. It's not like someone can email you their track. They're 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 mailing they're physically mailing you cassette tapes, and then you guys have to encode it to, to put it up, right?
3: Exactly. Yeah.
1: And so the the early um, the early components of the Internet Underground Music Archive is it's mostly FTP and maybe Gopher. Does it start out that way before before you launch the website?
3: Yes, it, it started out as an FTP site, um, yeah, which you could access through Gopher. I don't think we ever made any Gopher-specific uh, pages. I think there was something like a .gopher file, if I, I, don't, I don't really remember. Um, but it um, uh, started as an FTP site, uh, which then grew into the website.
1: So at some point um, – well, actually, before I ask uh, when you start to charge bands and, and start to turn it into a business – uh, where are you getting the funding to, you know, get the equipment, uh, get the hosting, that sort of thing?
3: Uh, begging, <laughs> uh, mooching, that kind of thing. We uh, asked, uh, so we asked the uh, uh, system administrator of, of Sunsight, uh, which again was a um, um, project. I uh, um, do I want to say. So SunSight was a series of, of Sun Microsystems servers on the internet um, that were donated by uh, Sun Microsystems for projects that the, the SunSight folks thought were interest, you know, were worthwhile. I'm not sure what their... I don't remember what the criteria was, but evidently we fit, fit uh, that criteria. Um, it's some kind of public benefit sort of criteria. Um, and then we needed machines for doing encoding and uh, we had somehow or other, maybe just um, as we as we got some publicity, um, attracted nearby um, SGI, Silicon Graphics, um, who was doing some oh, who did a trade for us. That's right. Uh, they gave us a couple of their indie machines, indie workstations, uh, for doing encoding in exchange for a uh, sort of powered by Silicon Graphics uh, logo at the bottom of our website. Um, so it was a you know in-kind exchange there, if you will, um, you know a no cash um, kind of exchange. And then we uh, put a again, put a flyer up on campus and uh, asked anybody if they'd like to um, be part of our project. Uh, clear that it we didn't have any way to compensate anyone uh, for their for their efforts. And even as we did start taking donations, this is getting a little ahead, but as we started taking donations from artists, I think I called it a burrito budget. Um, which meant if you worked for a week, we would take you out to the local taqueria and get you a burrito <laughs> 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 for your for your labors. So,
1: are you getting um, music submissions from just the local area or uh, around the world? Like, how does how does word of of the the site spread?
3: It's really, a, and you may recall this. But there was a tremendous amount of. Um, publicity and, and press mm-hmm. um, about those early internet days. There were whole magazines, Internet Life, um, uh, Web something. You know, there were half a dozen of these uh, magazines um, that would come out, often from major publishers, and put onto to newsstands and things like that. That um, um, that were exploring this or sort of brave new world. This this um, this uh, uh, you know what the what the web would become. And um, they loved what we were doing. Um, they we were on the covers of some of them. We were interviewed quite a bit. MTV came out and did a piece uh, on us, a rather long segment, and then showed it continuously over um, uh, a holiday break when they uh, it looks like they weren't making any new content.
1: I was I was gonna <laughs> say I, I I I actually remember that. <laughs> so there you go, yeah right. yeah.
3: So uh, that was a popular piece, and um, during the holidays, when I guess they weren't making any new pieces, they just played us continuously. <laughs> uh, that was the hot, the hot news. And so that, as that comes, those you know, people start figuring out how to get online. They start figuring out how to send us uh, content, and they do. And before you know it, we've got um, a few thousand tracks on uh, Iuma, the Internet Underground Music Archive.
1: And what sort of, you know. I- I'm trying to think of, about like um you know how today the that uh things like SoundCloud and a lot of a lot of online stuff is is very hip hop based but what what sort of music were you getting was it was it everything from like world music to just you know garage band rock and stuff like that what were you getting
3: Yeah the, the diversity of the styles was was really fun um there was not a a single a single genre uh in fact uh, it was really great when we were um you know so we'd encode all this music so we'd have to listen to it effectively <laughs> and uh, we ended up having a lot of favorites uh that we'd play around the office and so that's all that we played around the office um when we weren't you know headphones on actually encoding it was stuff that was that was on the site and um uh yeah there was a i mean one thing that is fair to say it was you know it was all it was all niche-y. um it didn't seem to be anyone who was, um, um, well, that's not fair to say. No, that, that's not really true. We would get, um, what seemed to be sort of well-produced sort of pop or rock demos that seemed, you know, destined for a label deal, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, radio. But then we'd also get, um, you know, someone in their, in their bedroom in particular, I think one of our favorite tracks was a song called when I die, you can't have my organs. <laughs> um, It was a really beautiful track actually It was something like uh, Though you think that you will need them I would really rather keep them When I can't have my organs Uh, It was just a guy playing A guitar um, Sort of a little folky A little poppy track uh, But really sincere and and silly Um, We really liked him There were some really interesting noise bands Sort of consistent with the 90s Kind of post-punk Sound um, that were really good, including some from Santa Cruz. A band called Bethany Curve was particularly great um, for me. Anyway, um, everybody in the office seemed to have a, a favorite or two, and what came across with it all was obviously like a lot of authenticity, right? There's not a lot of um, production gloss on uh, when you self-record, especially in the '90s, probably on a four-track recorder or something like that. So it's a lot of authenticity.
1: Mm-hmm. So, at some point you guys um do start charging uh artists to I, I guess maybe you put together a package like we'll we'll put your song we'll encode your song, put your song up, and uh you know maybe put together a, a rudimentary web page w- with it with like you know band photos and things like that um so how soon after launching does does it start to become sort of like a business?
3: yeah, uh that's a good question um so I think we get overwhelmed maybe six months or maybe a year. Into it. My memory on this is really foggy. I remember we did something like, all right, those who give us a donation along with their content are going to go first. You know, you get to move to the front of the line, something like that. Mm -hmm. And then I think we actually do establish establish a price um, uh, for it. Um, That must be a year or two into it. Going on simultaneously is, you know, Yahoo pops up and things like that. So rather than it, so much becoming a, a business, you know what we try to do is is uh, keep reasonably sustainable is be sustainable with respect to keeping the the current flow going. But what we really start doing is thinking about what sort of the next generation of IUMA can actually be, um, and and what that might mean in terms of external funding and things like that. And we probably spend another year or so um, uh, talking to a number of potential. Uh, uh, investors is is what happens next, as I recall.
1: Did you and did did you ever take outside investment?
3: No, I don't think we ever. Uh, at least not while I was still there.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I don't remember that we closed um, on anything. I think you know, frankly, what we were doing was um, still still so early um, and so unusual. Uh, that that uh, no one knew really how to take it. I think also that because uh, it had started, I mean it's its roots were very much, as I mentioned this um, this project and an experiment um, that uh, everyone involved uh, uh, kept that kept that mindset. We didn't have the sense that um, except maybe other than than me and only me to a degree at that point, that there was some opportunity cost. Uh, in in not pursuing it as a business we were more happy to so long as we could sort of stick to our knitting and keep providing this um keep this experiment going um we were satisfied with with the results and you know, we were satisfied with our with where we were at
1: well you you mentioned earlier about how how much early press uh the the experiment got like i i found a uh, an article from i think like 1993 where y- you're quoted as saying that th- this is going to kill the music industry. So it, it, at early on you have this vision that this is the future of the of distribution for music. Um you you, you do eventually leave iuma is it because you want to pursue this vision like um when when does it occur to you that that maybe this is, this is the direction to go in to, to reinvent the music industry, as it were.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think uh, at, some, at a point I become, uh, I, I decide that, um, and this is sort of true of Santa Cruz too. Um, Santa Cruz is a great place. For, a lot of people will tell you that it's a great place to live, not a great place to work. It's a seaside town with a very progressive mentality and very little sort of industry. And people who live there like it that way, <laughs> by and large. They don't want to see more development um, happen there. So it occurred to me that IUMA is sort of the same thing. a place where I can go on to do um, bigger things, uh, that a new vehicle, other vehicles, make sense uh, for me to do that. So I end up uh, leaving um, then. Um,
1: is, is that when you go to, to N2K?
3: That's when I joined N2K, yeah.
1: And and so N2, um, N2K is... a. Uh... Is a startup? Is it a startup? But it, 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 it its intention is to try to do try to sell music on the web, right?
3: It is one of the first to um, do digital sales. Uh, it Partners with um, um, Liquid Audio, which is an early DRM um, company. Uh, N2K also had the second largest uh, CD retailer online after CD Now, mm-hmm. uh, called Music Boulevard. And um, they they were eagerly looking to sort of supersede uh, CD now by doing digital distribution, um, yeah. And that was exciting.
1: So right, and uh, you're you're there for a brief time, but I I feel like uh, maybe you were you were sort of disillusioned by N2K. Did you think that maybe they were still kind of too old world thinking and 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 just trying to do retail, but in a slightly different way and and. And there was, you could see that there was so much more potential to to what would what would be happening.
3: Yeah, well, I think what happened was one of the. I mean, it was it's a great group of people um, at N2K, and some of them are actually the key people uh, over at Apple now who work on uh, the iTunes work on iTunes and the iTunes Store. I'm thinking of Chris Bell in particular. Um, um, but uh, at N2K, what happens at one point? is um, we're, we're considering building our own player or our own um, spin on the liquid audio player, something along those lines. And um, I demonstrate for the, the team Winamp, a, a version 0.9 or something like that of Winamp, and uh, sing its praises and how we should be partnering with Justin Frankel in that way. And um, no one really says no, but no one really says yes. I'm not able to, to put any sort of fire uh, behind that, and so it's at that point I asked Justin Frankel, "Hey, is there something to help you with?" And I make the jump from N2K uh, to Nullsoft and and join Justin Frankel on Winamp.
1: And uh, <clears throat> Justin Frankel has uh, previously been been on the show, which I always have to apologize. It was the worst recorded episode we've ever done. But uh, <laughs> so if I remember from my conversation with Justin, um, so you uh, he he. Has he has uh, no notion of turning Winamp into any sort of business, and 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 you say to him, um, "Hey, let me see if I can sell some ads for for Winamp." And um, that's sort of when you're when you're successful doing that. That's when uh, Winamp and, and Nullsoft start to start to become a business. Is that right?
3: Yeah, yeah. No, there was um, you know uh, even with uh, sort of pre 1.0 version. Um, others are, a few others are seeing what I'm seeing uh, with the potential of Winamp. And uh, there's a one point sort of, I think it was eMusic. Um, this is, you know, eMusic version 1.0 before David Pacman and Trevor, there was another crew even before Pakman. Um, um, they wanted to acquire Winamp from, from Justin at, you know, some... Did, um, that thing so my day one uh, working with justin i'm like no don't take that deal <laughs> let's let's um let's develop this into more of a from a project to a to a to an entity to, to a growth and you know, something that can contain its value call the company or, or whatnot but um let's let's take advantage of some of the opportunity that's being presented to us here in the market uh, to grow our, our our organization and um yeah so we we start putting some um, mp3.com ads Thank you, uh, Michael. Um, uh, his, I'm skipping on his name. Um, mp3.com is – sorry, Michael, do you know?
1: Yeah, I, you know what? I know it too, but I was just going to look it up because it's on the tip of my
3: tongue. Yeah. Um, Robertson, Michael Robertson. Uh, so I call it Michael Robertson, and we put some mp3.com um, ads um, on the Winamp site, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, that that begins the sort of you know, commercial um, aspect of uh, Nullsoft of Winamp.
1: So, when do you do you have any recollection of when you start to really see the the intense ramp up in interest in in MP3s, especially? Is it the ninety seven ninety eight kind of time period?
3: Yeah, uh, clearly. The, I mean, the the biggest blow up, right? Was well, there's a couple of big ones. Obviously, the Napster explosion uh, made M- MP3s mainstream, and um, the the portable players, you know, the ones, there's sort of the before um, the i uh, iPod mm-hmm. players did something to get um, to stoke the fires, but it was really right then the iPod that um, then blew it up further. I'd say I'd say Winamp. Uh, But it demonstrated there was something there. Uh, I was so happy to hear when Justin told me after one of the first things he did with Winamp after writing it was download some tracks from iuma.com and played those. Um, that was very satisfying to me. Um, the, um... Then um, Napster, then the iPod, um, were to me, the, the three big uh, inflection points um, in, the,
2: in the MP3 scene.
1: Well, and there's also, you know, and this gets talked about a lot also, it's coincidental that at this same time period you're getting things, computers that have, you know, hard drives that are large enough, uh, you know, to to store an an album and things like that, and you have space on your hard drive as well.
3: Yeah, no, that's really true. Um, Honestly, when we were doing Ayuma, if if people remember back to. 1993 you had to buy a sound card for your for your pc and it wasn't very good um, <laughs> the notion that high fidelity music um, at that point would you know travel this thing that no one was using called the internet to your computer which you know was lucky if you had a, some bad speakers on and a, an 8-bit sound card um it was is it was a silly notion um, it was a very forward thinking notion to think that, uh, you know, we would get to where we are today.
1: Yeah. I hadn't, I, I thought of the hard drive thing, but I hadn't thought uh, about the, the sound card and the speaker component. You're right about that. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned that, you know, Napster is, is what takes it mainstream. Do you, do you remember when you first heard about Napster and, and, um, start to hear that, that, that was the, the, the hot new thing on the scene?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I didn't spend a lot of time talking to the Shans. And I don't think really Justin did either. I'm not really sure. Uh, But on multiple occasions, um, you know, they were looking to either do some kind of distribution deal with us or uh, I was uh, there were a few times where uh, I was uh, asked if I wanted to go work at Napster instead of working at at Nullsoft, things like that. There was even one point where a friend of mine who had worked with an N2K who had gone... To uh, go on to work at the RIAA, um, I'm chatting with her about stuff. We're just you know, we sort of cross paths, and uh, this is very early in Napster. And I said to her, um, "Hey, what do you think of this Napster thing?" And she said, "What?" And I said, "Oh, you, you should check this out. You should check out <laughs> Napster." <laughs> She's like, "Okay, you know, I'll do it." So there's uh, some people have said that I'm the one who tipped uh, RIAA off. R I A, the Recording Industry Association of America, off to Napster, which is not obviously like true, <laughs> but um, obviously the R I A A was going to find out about them one way or another. Um, but uh, um, you know, there was that was looking back on it now, that was a funny conversation. Well, and um, also I th- I, th-
1: I think I read um, you know maybe one of the times when when you meet with the the Napster people that it, you, you yeah. mentioned to them well what are you going to do about the lawsuit and, and they say what lawsuit and, and it's something it's like yeah. well it's the lawsuit that's obviously coming your way. did you get that sense yeah. that, that they didn't they weren't really hip to what to what was uh, obviously going to be happening to them at some point?
3: Uh, you know I wouldn't say they weren't hip it's just you don't you know when you' when your success depends on you not seeing certain things um, you tend not to see those things or at least you don't make it obvious to others. You, know, you don't accept the the premise that others would present to you that way. I don't know if it was you know self delusion or or just you know the posture uh, that needed to be taken kind of thing. I will say one thing that's interesting too that it, now in retrospect is interesting. There was another you know before Napster, there was another um, peer-to-peer company, Scour, mm-hmm. uh, run by uh, Travis. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to say his name or Kavalek. Kev- I always call him Travis K, mm-hmm. who's now the you know, CEO and founder of Uber. Right, right. Um, And there was a conversation I had with Travis um, uh, way back then, which was he wanted to do distribution with Winamp, um, this early days of Scour. And he said, "I said, great, that sounds like you know a good idea. I'd love to see if you guys are testing this out, and you know if these you know, what, what this what this evolves into. We'd love to work with you on uh, doing some innovation this way, and." Um, he said, great, then you know, we'll just do an 80-20 split. I'm like, oh, okay. And then he said, you know, 80 us, 20% you. And and I don't even know what we were talking about because I'm not sure where the revenue model, where his revenue model was coming from or whatnot. And I just said, to him, like, Travis, like, we've got millions of distribution. You're a new service. Like, we'll take the 80%, you'll get the 20%, or we'll work out something. He's like, no, I, I can't do that. And that was the end of the phone call and it didn't work out with Power. <laughs> <laughs> well right there's there's it's this very aggressive uh...
1: right but there's this period of time where you know all of a sudden <laughs> i guess it's 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 in the Napster moment, so it's around ninety nine two thousand when it seems like that you know. Overnight, that you know, music's going digital, and so th- this is the new wave, and and yeah. and you guys are a part of this, and 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 you know, obviously, this is what leads to the sale to, to AOL and things like that. But was it a, was there a, a time period where just all of a sudden um, everybody wants to talk to you, and and do do the record labels want come to talk to you and and try to uh, hash out some new vision for the future or anything like that?
3: That's a good question. Um, I can't say record labels. I can't say the music industry. Uh, really, really came to us. You know, they were, um, yeah. Uh, I can speculate on why that was, but that wasn't really happening. Um, technology companies were coming to us. We, uh, I was at the front of negotiating a number of deals with what were effectively DRM companies. So AT and T had something called A 2 B. Uh, Liquid Audio was another uh, company that had a DRM solution, and they were all looking basically for distribution uh, with Winamp, so that Winamp would be installed, ready to do these, um, you know, commercial. Um, uh, purchasing of you know, of serv- if you will, sort of legitimate DRM'd commercial distribution, digital distribution of music. Uh, so that was where actually um, Winamp was was making quite a bit of money, was uh, you know in the upwards of of uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, uh, a year, as I recall now. Um, was from um, packaging these DRM solutions, which we just considered sort of additional you know formats. People could choose to use them or not. We weren't—we're we sort of indifferent to um, uh, the business model that the DRM companies had, but we understood how it made sense for uh, the users that we had to be pre-installed um, with a solution to playback the DRM formats uh, that they were promoting.
1: Tell me then about about the the, the sale to AOL. Um, I, I I think I asked Justin this exact same question. Um, but why AOL? Why 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 sell to them?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think, uh, I don't know what Justin said. I hope this is, uh, I should, should have listened to that one before having this conversation. I mean, I, it really came down to, um, uh, I, I believe, and you have to ask Justin to confirm this, but, you know, he, he, it, it, there was a dollar amount offered that was twice what the next guy um, uh, was willing to pay. And Justin at this time, I believe, is still a teenager. I don't think he's even 20 yet. Um, and I remember when we got the AOL offer, which was upwards of a hundred million dollars. Um, and he, you know, he's by far the line share owner of the, of the company. I sat down with him at the local cafe and I said, you know, th- this doesn't necessarily end now. We could, if we were more than just the two of us sitting in a cafe in Sedona, Arizona, which is, if anyone knows you know, maybe a hundred people live there. So it's a beautiful, beautiful place, um, a, a national park, uh, with these extraordinary, um, like red rock cathedrals, um, natural form- rock formations, this beautiful place. Um, but you know, there's no, there's no industry whatsoever. Certainly, no tech industry. And I tell him, like, if we move to you know San Francisco Bay Area, hire twenty employees and do anything, uh, will be worth at least as much as the acquisition price um, that AOL is offering. And um, um, and he thought about it and. And uh, he decided that it was, um, you know, at at that point in his career, um, that was the right that was the right thing to do. And frankly, in retrospect, it was the right thing to do. The crash wasn't uh, long; a uh, uh, crash in valuations wasn't long after that. And uh, it might have been, you know, more challenging as a company, as an independent company, uh, going forward, or you know, having an exit, anything like that. Um, um, at that time. Uh, but it was a difficult decision uh you know to give up uh, on the offer oppor- you know to give up the ownership aspect of it but at the same time you know uh what a great thing to um, have you know, to have one done right to have uh you know to have that deal flow uh, end with um, uh, that kind of success or that that opportunity end with that kind of uh, uh, mark on the board whatever the 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 saying is um, mm-hmm and then move on to your next opportunity. So uh, that, that's, how, that's how it went down. We just got an offer we couldn't refuse, uh, and um, uh, took it. Uh,
1: if, if time permitting, I, I, I want to touch on some of your yes. uh, other next opportunities that you did move on to, because it seems like um, you, you weren't done with this notion of, of, <laughs> of how uh, the, the Internet was going to transform music. So uh, first tell me uh, a little bit about Muse.net.
3: Oh, sure. Uh, that was a fun one. So that was uh, in partnership with Ian Rogers, who, um, is more recently known for having been the CEO of beats music acquired by Apple and is now, um, the CDO, uh, chief digital officer over at LBHM, the luxury brand, uh, conglomerate, a $40 billion, um, uh, luxury brand conglomerate like Louis Vuitton and things like that. Great guy. Um, we, we, you know, Ian and I, and Ian had worked at Winamp too. Um, we wanted to continue innovating, uh, you know, consumer-facing uh, internet music, internet digital media innovation um, stuff. And uh, what seemed to us to be interesting was if your collection now, your MP3 collection, lives on your home computer. Uh, this was still a notion, right? A home computer that was probably connected via an ISDN line, which um, was preceded the DSL and things that we have today, cable. Um, and you could stream your own collection to you, wherever you were, using, say, your computer at school or at work or in a cafe or at a friend's house, something like that, that we could make your whole library portable. Uh, So we built some technology around um, doing that. That was called Muse.net or MediaCode. MediaCode was the company. Muse.net was the product. And we ended up doing some partnerships um, with uh, a number of other companies. And um, uh, that was a lot of fun. And um, we ended up being acquired by uh, Yahoo. So Melsoft uh, was acquired by AOL, and then a few years later, uh, Ian and I, both from you know, our experience of Millsoft in mind, uh, created the product Muse.net, and that was acquired by Yahoo.
1: So that was a, sort in of early a, an early experiment in, in it's not streaming as we think of it today, but uh, maybe cloud music service, essentially.
3: Yeah. Personal cloud. It was a very, very cloud music service. Yeah. Uh,
1: Tell me about um, Songbird.
3: Oh, no, you're breaking up a little. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Uh,
1: uh, My next question was about uh, Songbird. Oh,
3: yeah. Okay. Uh, Tell me about it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Songbird, um, uh, yeah, so it's it's really – it's really wonderful. Um, Songbird uh, we, was the, uh, the TLDR version of it. Um, Songbird was a desktop media player that was the Firefox of iTunes, if you will. Um, iTunes had uh, started to truly dominate um, the Internet digital media value chain by um, integration of the store, the iTunes store, with the desktop software, iTunes with the portable player, um, the iPod, and later the iPhone. Um, Uh, So looking at that architecture, I thought, wouldn't it be tremendous if there was an open media player that allowed arbitrary digital services? So not just Apple's store, um, but maybe any number of MP3 stores or uh, DRM protected stores, video services, radio services, uh, any number of media services that could plug into a media player with the sort of integrated experience that you had in iTunes and what if all that media worked on arbitrary consumer electronics devices so not just apple's consumer electronics devices portable players phones uh, set okay. so use the user would be in control any uh, or, or just half-life six months but that didn't mean you lost' sorry you lost your um, aggregate all the media that you have the playlists, the smart playlists, dynamic playlists, um, uh, services that you keep using, things like that. That you keep what you want uh, to go, uh, and, you, and you lose what you don't want. Uh, and you always have the option of new um, new services coming into it. It's really an open market. It's a digital media value chain um, play uh, that put the consumer in in charge. Uh, raised uh, eight and a half million dollars from Sequoia Capital and Atlas. They really went for it. Um, It was successful to a point. um, uh, We we had distribution deals with... We had had millions of users, a little less than 5 million users, as I recall, um, and had partnerships with Sony. I'm sorry, not Sony, with with, uh, Philips. And uh, we had just started one with Vodafone. Uh, Then the crash of 2008 happened, just as we were raising our Series B. And uh, so that didn't happen. We ended up... um, It's sort of... I left. It sort of limped along for a little while and was closed down, um, I guess... Just a few years ago, now um, I don't. I didn't really follow after after that point. But um, the idea was um, the idea was that that um, the digital media value chain um, should have at the center of it a, uh, a user control point where they control the the services and devices. The whole thing has actually become uh, with the rise of mobile um, kind of obtuse. We don't really use desktop uh, media players, uh, anymore. We use apps and, uh, increasingly with HTML five and the success of the web, um, you know, maybe use, um, services through the browser so that the desktop application, uh, class as a whole is, is kind of on its way out. Uh,
1: I'll, I want to end by, um, by asking you what you're working on today, but before I do, um, y- you know, you've, you've worked almost, you know, the through line in your career has been, you've been banging away at, 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 uh, how how digital can transform music and the music industry and things like that um 20 years on do you, is is the music industry where you thought it would be has the transformation worked out like you sort of had the vision 20 years ago or or is has it not <laughs> uh wh- like
0: why
1: That's yeah why are there still right why, why are there still record labels
3: <laughs> that's a really good question um, yeah um, I don't uh, oh, wow, wow the fact that there's anybody who cares to ask that question is kind of profound <laughs> as many uh, far more uh, democratization than there even is today um, that you know there are a uh, few major players that there's just a a few companies that are taking on like the the streaming service opportunity that, that there isn't everyone sort of self publishing. Um, uh, Let let me step back a little bit Mm -hmm. that the digital media value chain has at various steps in it. um, So few players, it seems, or so much of the transactions going through. So few players strikes me as um, a bit disappointing um, from, from what um, I think we all thought the internet um, was going to represent. Uh, it just turns out that those economic interests, you know, the economic interest in, in consolidating means you, means means you get you know more profitable companies. It's just that's the way consolidation works. Right? in the early days of the car industry, there were lots of brands. Now we're down to uh, a fairly few, a very fairly small number of brands relative to the historical uh, number. Uh, so we're there. We're at a, a more mature stage. Um, at the same time, um, the, the diversity of music types, in fact, some of the most popular music I think now, electronic music, a lot of it couldn't exist without the, the democratization of media that's happened because of the internet. Right. I to think of EDM as just internet music. Uh, and some of my favorite... media media. Uh, I might be forty-five, but I think I'm. I would call myself like a proto millennial or something. Uh, I'm. Uh, I think anything from yesterday is uh, intolerable. I think the present day is just barely tolerable, and that the future still is glorious. <laughs> <laughs> so I look for those things that sort of uh, embed those values um, or drive from those values. So the democratization of media and music has been tremendous. It continues. Accelerate and is very exciting. It's very promising. The um, the dynamics of the of the industry are still really weird, um, and kind of unfortunate. Um, I have to believe that the the democratization of the value chain will happen. You know the it's the um, Clayton Christensen, if you're a fan of this writer, the the mm. Innovators Dilemma, right. has this notion that uh, when it's early market time, then end to end solutions. You get more competition, more segmentation. and um, we're still early. We're just still early in um, internet media and we're early in the transition of this you know, tremendous um, uh, properties uh, by, by the, not, not just music labels but the media industry who have a fiduciary duty to um, exp- value. Um, There's still just so much history there. That we're not at a sort of industry architecture that sort of represents the the full scope of opportunity
2: that I think um, uh, exists within the media itself, if that's not too obtuse and abstract.
3: Um, But yeah, I remain very optimistic that that we'll get there. Certainly, um, you know, the web, uh, even with the sort of, you know, retrograde action of the proprietary mobile platforms um, kind of chipping away at its at its dominance, um, is, is going to win. Um, it's just going to be a decade uh, before we get there. And I think part of it uh, uh, will, will come also, the uh, segmentation and competition um, uh, that, that uh, is consistent with the kind of uh, vision I had when I started Ayuma.
1: So you're you're still optimistic that the day will come when an artist can can just sell directly to their fans and maybe just have an app and, and do all their business directly with with, with their
3: audience. Yeah, the thirty percent Apple tax is <laughs> is not a life sentence. <laughs> it it will uh, it will get lower, and you'll be able to do even more even more yourself. Um, uh, there are lots of ways. You know that, that's beginning to happen. The What's happening with yeah, self publishing on YouTube is pretty amazing um, you know there's like a bad camp and, and SoundCloud is I think may increasingly be compensating um, um, those who post their productions um, online I think it's, uh, I think we're beginning to head in, in the we're heading in the right direction there. I frankly think of of Napster as sort of too much too full. Process, um, I think it devalued media too much, too you know, too fast. <laughs> um, it was too much, too soon, um, and and put us in this sort of reactionary position for a long time. That's um, uh, just sort of unfortunate.
1: So, uh, what are you working on today? What are you interested in uh, these days?
3: Yeah. Uh, I'm working on a project called Shrines, uh, which is another of these sort of internet media startups. Uh,
2: a small group, there's uh, about four of us, are working on a. It's an internet media uh, sort of consistent, also with the, and the sort of arc that I've been uh, pursuing here. Um, you can think of it as a um, um, a subjective Wikipedia, in the sense that Wikipedia is this uh, canonical uh, natural monopoly. Um, of, service, uh, 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 of of information um, around a, a given objective subject. Uh, so we're doing that, but we're going to do that for subjective topics. Um, another way of thinking about it is it's uh, sort of a convergent Tumblr or Pinterest. But um, Tumblr and Pinterest, uh, let's say I'm interested in the band Daft Punk, uh, and I want to share that affinity with with everyone on Tumblr or Pinterest. I create the 10,000th uh, tumble log or pinboard board for um, uh, Daft Punk, and then I start repinning or reposting um, what other people have uh, posted there, and I tend to do that by myself. So, shrines is this notion of what if you flip those three things? What if uh, there's exactly one um, Daft Punk pinboard or tumble log or, as we call it, a shrine? Uh, what if there's exactly one instance of a given contribution uh, to a shrine? There's not this, re- dupe is a bug, not a feature. And uh, what if you uh, can only do it together, that it's, you know, by default, open uh, for contributions, for comments, for tagging uh, by by all those who might choose to participate in it? Um, so that's that's uh, in a nutshell we shrines. We're, uh, we'll probably have a public beta in the next month or so. We're working with a group of about 100 um, super fans and, and early adopters from our, our personal networks, uh, us being the, the founders and uh, advisors and investors, uh, in Shrines, uh, include Ian Rogers and and Chris Messina. And, uh, once we know it doesn't suck, we'll be, uh, opening up for a public beta.
1: Well, possibly by the time, uh, this episode comes out, um, maybe that public beta will be live. So, um, check out Shrines. Um, Sounds super interesting, uh, Rob Lord. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And I, you know, I kind of am thinking of you as, as basically patient zero for the for the digital revolution uh, with music. So <laughs> thank you, thank you for uh, remembering all that for us.
2: That's, that's very flattering. I mean, there's uh, I don't like first bees. And there are certainly lots of people before me, and I I think you know it's been extraordinary to work with uh, Ian Rogers and Justin Frankel and, and a number of others. Um, but, uh, thanks for the opportunity to, to log, you know, some of this, uh, experience, uh, with everybody. Thanks for the opportunity.
1: If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, please subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice. There's plenty more great internet history where that came from. And if you're a longtime listener, then you know what to do to help us out. Rate and review us on iTunes because iTunes gives credit to reviews and ratings, and the more great reviews we get, the more people will discover us. As always, there's more info on our website, www.internethistorypodcast.com. The show's Twitter handle is Pod, and my personal Twitter is MCC. Thanks for listening.